How you guys doing? Drop it in the chat how you're doing, where you're joining us from. We're so excited to be worshiping with you here today. My name is Ruben. I'm the pastor here, and I'm just so excited to be able to bring God's word uh, to you this Sunday evening. Hey, listen, if you have a Bible, feel free to grab it because we're going to jump into uh, scripture together. Lord Jesus, we just come before you, and we just take these next few moments that we have in our entire week, the next half an hour, and we just give it over to you, God. Jesus, we ask right now that despite all the unrest around us, despite all the lack of peace, despite the injustice, despite the hurt, despite all the weight that is currently around us, Jesus, this is my ask, this is my call, and this is my prayer for us, that we would look to you, the God of all, that we would look to you, Jesus, above all, and we would ask Jesus that you would speak to us, that you would meet us here today, that we would find peace, Lord Jesus, in you, that we would seek truth in you. Whoever is joining us today, God, whether they're near your heart or whether they're far, my prayer is this, that you would bring them closer into your presence as we open up your word, as we look to scripture. Father, I pray, lead us with your strength. Lead us in your might. In your holy and precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All of God's people said amen. Drop it in the comments, amen, if you believe in Jesus and you love him. Now, come on, that's exciting. God is good, amen? We have been in a series called Seeking Solitude with God. This series about prayer, the series about, hey, just looking at Jesus, who are you? What does it look like to be in your presence? What does it feel like to be in communion with God? What is it like to be talking to God? What is prayer really? We've been in this conversation and we are coming to an end this week. Today is the last week of seeking solitude with God. And I hope this past series has blessed you. I hope it's transformed and changed the way you pray. I hope prayer is no longer this, this, this quick, you know, two-minute thing that you do before meals or like this five-minute thing you do at the end of the day, just basically your grocery list off to God and then amen, you walk away patting yourself on the back. I hope prayer has become this transformational moment throughout your day where you take time to isolate yourself from everybody else, to spend time with the creator, God, to seek him, to, to search the scriptures, to know him, to hear his voice. We've been discovering things like prayer is not a monologue, but a dialogue if we're truly in relationship with our God. And we should be spending time to pause and listen to him, that Jesus himself says in John 10, 27, that my sheep hear my voice. I know I've quoted that scripture so many times, but it's the one we need to hang on to and hold on to, believing that Jesus does speak. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and Jesus says, I know them, and they know me. That if prayer truly is a conversation, if prayer can truly be this opportunity where we pause to hear God, then we should be doing that to seek his vision, to seek what he desires for our life, his will, as we say, and then bowing down to that, obeying that, living out the vision that God has for us. And so we've been pausing uh, every single week and kind of focusing a little bit more 
on, on this one book uh, that, that, that resembles and that resonates the idea of listening to God in prayer so well that's throughout Scripture. It's a book called Four Keys to Hearing God's Voice by Mark and Patty Verkler. And this book has been such a blessing to help us sharpen the skill, not like some sort of magic formula, but rather healthy habits, four main keys that'll help us get in line so that we can hear God clearly rather than being all over the place, not able to, because we're not in tune with God. And so we talked about uh, uh, how the key number one was spontaneous, key number two was stillness, key number three is vision, and today's key is journaling. We talked about how we have to recognize, number key number one, that we have to recognize God's voice as spontaneous thoughts that spark within our hearts. Key number two, we have, we have to become still, put away all the distractions, all the things trying to divert our uh, energy and our, and our mind and our capacity to think and to focus entirely on Jesus. And then key number three, to look for vision. We don't just empty our minds, we fill it with scripture, we fill it with being in God's presence, we fill it with Jesus speak we are listening as Peter did, where he was in prayer, and that's when Peter got this amazing vision that, that, that started the entry and the in invitation to all the Gentiles into the family of God to be able to be called believers in Jesus. And so part of what we've been doing is focusing on what it means to recognize God's voice, to become still in his presence, to look for his vision so we can live that out. But key number four is basically a key that helps the other three. It's journaling. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today. Now, if you are brand new to our services, you probably just scrolled through Facebook and you found our messages or somebody asked you to come and check our services out, but you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're kind of like, I don't really know where I am on the fence, I'm not totally into this. Today's message is going to be focused to those who are believers in Jesus Christ, absolutely. But here's the thing. Today's unique in that you actually get this sneak peek, all access, behind the scenes look into what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What it's like, the power and the promises and the experience of being in a relationship with the God who created you. And so if that's you, here's my ask. And here's my prayer for you, that throughout this sermon, God would move your heart, that you would be interested, that you would be intrigued, and start seeking and searching the scriptures, and you would consider Jesus as your Savior, Lord, and God. That's my call, and that's my prayer for you today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to jump into key number four, because this is so crucial. Key number four is this, two-way journaling, or the way authors of, of this book that we've been walking through, Mark and Patty Verkler define it, they say this, two-way journaling is recording your prayers and what you sense to be God's answers. Recording your prayers and what you sense to be God's answers. And you might pause for a second and think, wow, Pastor Ruben, you're, you're going to do a whole sermon on journaling? That's interesting. I've never heard that one before. Why on journaling? Does scripture even talk about journaling, absolutely. See, this is so crucial. This is a crucial step to hearing God's voice, and we're getting to the why this is a crucial step in a second. But for those of you who are a little bit hesitant and who are like, I'm not entirely sure, is journaling even a biblical thing? Is this something that's exercise, that's healthy, that, that God absolutely blesses? Well, yeah, and I want to take you to a passage of Scripture to show you that, because we don't have to look very far except to turn to one of the largest books in the Bible, 
the book of Psalms. So we go to the book of Psalms. Feel free to turn uh, your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Psalms. We're also going to have the verses on the screen. But the Psalms are a great example of King David and then other Psalm writers as well. And their cries to God, their pleas to God, their hearts, longings being written in poetic format to God. Whether it's God save us or whether it's God you're faithful. And as they wrote it down, it was penned, it was, con- it, it was penned down, it was conversational. In certain Psalms you'll see where one, the author is writing and then all of a sudden you're hearing God's response, but you still know that the author is writing and then it goes back to the author responding. responding. In fact, the Psalms are a great example that show us how to pray as well, how to even approach God in prayer with this attitude of humility and authenticity, pouring our hearts out before our King of kings and Lord of lords. One of the greatest examples is King David, who was known as being a man after God's own heart. I mean, we've heard that, we know that, but do you know what that actually means? That actually means that King David was a man who desired the things God did. It's what we've been talking about. We have to seek God's vision for our lives, God's desire for our lives, God's will for our lives, that if we are after God's heart, we're after his love. What does he love so much that he wants us to pour our lives and our energy and everything that we have into that? And so, to take for example, one of David's Psalms, turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 12 for me. Psalm chapter 12, we're gonna read through just this short Psalm of eight verses. And as you just turn your Bibles over to Psalm 12, all I want you to do is kind of just sit back. And I'm just going to read it out, and I want you to just observe the conversation. Observe the dialogue. Observe what King David is saying. Observe what uh, is being responded. Just just take it in, and, and you'll get a glimpse as to what it's like to pray and then just to write down the prayers that you have to God. Psalms 12, verse one to eight. To the choir master, according to the Shemin, a psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boast, those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of men. You just take that in? We see the realness of King David's cry out to God. God, we need justice. Help us. Look at these people. God's response to David, I will now arise. And then David's response back to God, your words are like refined silver, 
purified seven times, which, by the way, is just a symbolic uh, number that's used for perfection of God. He's like, your words are perfect, God. There's only true hope in you. And so my hope, as we see the authentic realness of David, and as you read all 150 or so Psalms, you'll, you'll sense how David prays, how he calls out to God, how the other psalmists write their songs and their hymns to God. Their hearts cry out to God. And that would encourage you to two-way journal, to write your prayers down to God, and then to pause and to sense what God might be saying to you and then write that down as well. Patty and, and Mark Verkle actually say it best as to why two-way journaling is so crucial. And so I'm just going to quote a few passages from their, from their, from their book that will help us understand this because I couldn't put this into better words than they have. This is what they say. One of the greatest benefits of using a journal during your communion with the Lord is that it allows you to receive freely the spontaneous flow of ideas that come to your mind in faith, believing that they are from Jesus without short-circuiting them by subjection, by subjecting them to rational and sensory doubt while you're receiving them. Journaling allows you to write in faith, believing the flow of thoughts and pictures is from the Lord, knowing that you'll be able to test them later. You remember how we spoke about how our minds love to analyze things, and those of us who are especially right-brained, right who, who are very analytical in the way we think, that this actually is a barrier. It's what happens for us who are right-brained, who are like me as well. How the moment we get a word, the moment we start hearing a few things, immediately our brain goes into analyze mode. It goes into discern, decipher, understand mode, rather than pausing and just allowing God to speak freely. It's just a natural, innate like, like reaction for us. Those of us who are left brain, more, artisty, more artistic, more, more creative, you might not face that same issue as much as those who are right brain. What happens is we end up focusing on these few thoughts, and then we short circuit, as, as Mark and Patty say, we short circuit what God's trying to say to us because now we're all up in our minds and, and trying to analyze everything. But when we, when we write our thoughts down, when we start journaling, what it allows us to do is to receive the thoughts that God is speaking to us without analyzing them immediately, knowing that you can come back to your journal after you've finished writing all that's kind of flowing through your heart and then go back and analyze them. Is this of scripture? Does this uh, reflect the character of God? Share it with your mentors, your spiritual mentors, as we've encouraged those of you who are seeking God in this way need to be doing. It's also healthy as disciples that we have spiritual mentors. Hey, walk me through this. What does this look like? Is this of God? And then even that sense in our spirit. And so my point number one, and today, I know I don't do these sermons often, but today is going to be one of those point-by-point uh, point sermons, so you're going to want your notebook out because we're going to go by this quickly because we have a limited time. But point number one is journaling bypasses the analytical distraction, or at least it helps it, so that as you're writing, you don't have to keep, you know, being so cerebral, but you can let go and allow God to kind of move in you. A fear, though, that some may have, that I had when I first began this as well, is, 
well then, am I just some sort of robot? I mean, does God just take over my hand and start writing stuff and just bypasses me as a whole? No, absolutely not. In fact, those are just cults and demons that do that. That has nothing to do with God's spirit moving in you. I mean, take a look even at scripture, how Peter, the apostle Peter, writes how God speaks to us about prophecy. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, this is what he says. He says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't bypass you. You are the main instrument that God is using to minister and reach to his people. It's God who lives within you that then speaks through you as you are carried along, moved along, that Greek word specifically indicates. That as God leaves an impression on your heart, that's where he's moving to speak to you as he's speaking his words to you. Anything apart from that is from the enemy, is part of mysticism and voodoo stuff, and God says have nothing to do with those kinds of things. But the true spirit of God, that is the spirit. That is who we long after, we run after, and we want to obey. So point number two is that the Holy Spirit speaks to us by carrying or moving us or leaving an impression on us, whether it's a word, whether it's a scripture, whether it's an illustration, whether it's a story or an object or a picture, however God chooses to speak through you too. That is what you have to be pressing into as you listen for God. So, but, but then the, the following question obviously follows. Well, then when I'm two-way journaling, Reuben, does that mean I'm writing scripture? Does that mean that what I'm writing now is holy and divine and perfect and now can replace uh, the, the Bible? Well, let me respond with an absolute resounding no. In fact, the best way for me to respond to this is how Patty Verkler says it in her book. She says this, the Bible is complete in that it contains the revelation God desires to give us in order to grant us salvation and to restore us to a life of fellowship with him. Nothing needs to be added to it. It is inerrant, which means without error. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit and has been the best-selling book in all of history, even after 2,000 years. Somebody say amen to that, because that is astounding and magnificent. This does not mean that God has stopped speaking to his children. On the contrary, the Bible says God does continue to speak to us, even as he did from Genesis to Revelation. We still get to take walks with God in the garden in the cool of the day. He's referring to, she's referring to uh, Adam in the book of Genesis. And we get to dialogue with him. This does not mean that all our personal dialogue now needs to become scripture. No, it's just two friends sharing love together. Our journaling does not become scripture. So crucial, so crucial to hear. In fact, let me, let me even share what God says about scripture. Turn your Bibles all the way to the end. Revelation chapter 22, the very last few verses in all of Scripture. Verse 18 to 19. And this is what God says. This is the warning that he gives to everyone. He says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God will take away his share in the tree of life 
and in the holy city, which are described in this book. That's a pretty clear warning. Paul writes as well in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. Remember, this is God making this clear to us. But even if we, meaning the apostles, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. The idea being that nobody's going to change scripture. Nobody's going to move scripture. That God has ordained scripture very specifically. Instead, what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to be focused on is trying to hear God in the areas of God convicting us of sin, in the areas of God leading us to repentance, giving us direction as we seek vision for our life, to seek his will as he reveals his heart to us so that we can follow him and obey him. As we make decisions from things like, oh, wait, who do we date? What kind of job should we, should we be applying for and, 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 and accepting? How do we become more obedient servants and children of God, walking in obedience to God? How do we live as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, reaching the near and far for the gospel, for the sake of God? And so my point number three is we have to test our journaling thoughts to the scriptures to know if they are true or not. They don't become scripture. Which, by the way, that means something. It means that you need to know your Bible. It means you need to know scripture. Because if you don't know scripture, and you don't understand the Bible, in, like, generally at least to begin with, you're not going to be able to understand and decipher and discern God's voice as he's speaking to you as a child of God. Let me give you an example. Imagine if we, you know, weren't uh, Facebook living this. Imagine if we weren't broadcasting our sermons this way. But imagine if I told you, oh, next week we're going to, you know, broadcast our sermons through a radio channel. We're not going to do that, but imagine if I did. But imagine if I didn't tell you which radio channel. Those of you who know my voice, who know how Pastor Ruben speaks, the kind of accent Pastor Ruben has, the kind of, you know, message that Pastor Ruben brings, you're going to be able to dial through all the radio channels next week, like my wife, for example, and she identify, that's my husband. She'd be, she'd be, they'd, they'd be able to identify because they know me personally. They know, of, they, they know my voice. But take, for example, if you're tuning in today, and it's your first time, or maybe you just don't know the message that Pastor Ruben brings. You don't know how my voice sounds. You don't know the kind of words I use or the accent that I speak with. You'll be dialing through all the radio channels, unable to find which one I'm preaching on. That's kind of what it's like. That if we know God, his character, and his person, then when he's speaking to us, we will better be able to identify what's his voice and what's not. But if... We don't know him. If we're like, God, speak to me, but we don't spend time in scripture, don't spend time studying him, we won't know when God is speaking to us. That's crucial. Don't miss out on that. Point number four is journaling keeps a record. So date them. You know, what happens is something you'll learn in some time is that sometimes God speaks to you about something that will happen many years later. And since we don't experience time, like God experiences time, since we're limited in our capacity, 
journaling, what that does for us is it allows us to write down, to set a record, to document what we are hearing, what we are praying for. And then what happens is, in some time, we'll be able to year by year, month by month, see themes. We'll be able to see trends of what God is speaking, what he is saying, test what we are hearing. Because sometimes we might even forget. On a side note, this is probably one of the most interesting and most uplifting faith moments that I have ever experienced. That God is so interested, so interested in you that he wants to speak to you, that he has a future for you. Even in those moments where you're like, I feel so far from you, God. And yet, God, you have something to say about my future? You have something to say about me? That is so affirming. And every time that that happens, especially when I'm just spending time with God in prayer, it fills me up, it builds my faith up. Something revolutionary in my faith walk, as I learned uh, as a beginner to hear God's voice, was answering two major questions. And maybe you wanna write these questions down if you're new to this. It's how do we begin to hear God? And two, what does God speak about to us? What, what, what is that about? Like, What kind of things does God speak about? And so these two questions, one, when we begin listening for God's spontaneous thoughts to lead us, what we need to do is we need to ask a question. We need to go to God with a question. And then when we ask him that question, it should be around these three major categories. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he pens this about prophecy, that they have these three major effects. He says it's for edification, for exhortation, and for comfort. Edification is to build up. That if God is speaking to you, it's to build you up. Exhortation is to guide you along the way. It's to implore you and to give you kind of like guidance in your future. That if God is speaking to you, this is what he's going to speak to you about. And then lastly, to comfort you, to counsel you is what that means. And so if you're a beginner, you're new to uh, trying to seek out God, to hear him speak to you, what you need to do is go to God with this kind of question. And whatever question it may be, phrase it like this, saying, God, what area of my life do you want to work on? What, what's, what's the kind of character, God, you want to you build in me? And, and what kind of person do you want to build me up to? God, what area of my life do I have to adjust to follow you in better obedience? God, what area of my life do you want to heal and to counsel me in and to heal the baggage and the scars that I've carried from the past that I don't even recognize right now in this moment? A crucial point that Mark and Patty Verkler make about this is this, about how God speaks and what he speaks about. It's this. They say God gives us revelation for the areas in which he has given us, note this, responsibility and authority. You know what that means, right? That God is speaking to you about the position of influence and leadership that you already find your place in. Wherever you may be, the circle of influence that you were currently in, God is trying to speak to you about that situation. You know what that means then? That means that you already need to be praying about the people around you, about the people that God has put in your circle of influence, about your current situation and circumstance. You need to be seeking out God and saying, God, I want your vision for this area of my life. 
and seek it out in humility. Because then we see what happens. That God, as you listen, he'll speak. He'll make his voice clear and he'll lead you deeper and deeper into relationship with him. So point number five is be praying for those currently around you with anticipation for God to speak. Another crucial point to journaling. I know I'm going fast. You're going to have, probably have to rewind or watch this later. That's okay, because I want to stay, 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 stay um, faithful to the time. But another crucial point to journaling and just prayer as a whole is knowing what kind of question to ask. I mean, we kind of mentioned it earlier, but that's a very important question. What kind of question is okay to ask? How do we ask the right kind of question to God? See, in prayer, us as disciples, we're not meant to know everything. Sorry, that might be a news alert to you. But the truth is, we're not meant to know everything. Our natural tendency, though, is to jump to the future predictive questions like, for example, God, who am I going to marry? If we all had a nickel every time we asked that question to God, right? Who am I going to marry, God? You know, and, 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 and whatever other questions like that. But something crucial that I believe you need to hear and you need to know. In fact, you might have come for the sermon purely just for this one point. Something crucial you need to know. Those kind, those kind of future predictive questions always assume that we are ready to hear what we're asking for. They assume that we're ready to hear what we're asking for. Do you realize that most of the time we're not ready to hear what we're asking for? That we might be asking God, God, who am I going to marry? But you might not be ready to hear about who that person is. Because if you know that, you might fall and make some mistakes and never get there. It might just become way too overwhelming. There's just a ton of reasons why God does not reveal everything to us, but enough that we need to know. I say most of the time, because there's the odd time when God actually does reveal his future plans. He does do that. But it's overall for his glory and for his purpose. And God already knows the kind of decisions we'll make and what will happen. And so, yes, there are times when God does reveal his future predictive plans for us. But most of the time, we're not ready to hear the kinds of questions that we ask God. Instead, our attitude and our question should be phrased differently. In fact, as one of Mark's uh, mentor says, I'm just going to read this passage because he does a great job responding to this. He says, my sense of receiving information from God is that, is that unlike witchcraft, God ties his revelation to us and what he's doing in our lives at the moment. It may not be beneficial or helpful to us to know certain facts at certain times in our life. He may wisely and lovingly withhold the future from us for our greater good. We do not decide what we want God to tell us and then try to persuade him to conform to our imperfect agenda. God tells us that we, God tells us what he wants us to know and what he wants us, and when he wants us to know it, sorry. God may tell us a little at a time rather than everything at once. He does not do all of his work in one fell swoop. 
our approach should always be, in my view of God, God, sorry, let me reread that. Our approach should always be, in my view, not God, tell me this or that, but what do you want to tell me about this or that? Do you, do you know the difference? The difference is rather than going to God and tell me, God, tell me who will I marry? The better question to ask God is, God, what do you want to tell me about the person I will marry one day? What do you want me to become? Who do you want me to become in the time until I marry that person? Do you see the difference? It's not focusing on the predicted future, but it's focusing on the God. What work are you wanting to do in me right now to transform me currently in my situation that I am in right now? And to point number six is ask the right question while journaling. You need to ask the right question. Sometimes we get, we don't hear God because we're asking the wrong questions. And so obviously we're going to jump to the wrong assumptions. And then point number seven It's our job to seek God's will, not to tell him to do ours. Because a lot of the times we're asking him future predictive questions just so we can tell him whether we like it or not. Let's be honest. Instead, what we have to do is look back for the vision that God has for our lives and obey him in that. In fact, Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says this so clearly. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be like the world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern, what does it say? The will of God. That your transformation inwardly would lead to your discovery of God's vision and desires and will for your life. And so those are my seven points, seven crucial things. In fact, the book goes through like 15 plus points, but I'm like, let me condense it and make it as clear and crisp as I possibly can. About two-way journaling betters our ability to hear God. I know some of us uh, have a few questions still. Like, for example, well, how exactly uh, does this kind of prayer work? Well, reach out to me. I'd love to show you uh, some examples. I'd love to maybe walk you along some of those processes. You know, one of my mentors, I was going to go through another example, but I realized we're running out of time. One of my mentors, he, he used to do this powerfully. What he would do is, is he would write his prayer to God in one paragraph or in like a sentence or his question in lowercase, and then whenever he sensed God was trying to say something, as he, as he wrote, he would write it all in capital letters. And so he started to see, you know, the, the difference in the writing. He started to kind of like uh, uh, make it a little bit more clear, the, the, the boundaries and the guidelines, and it's powerful how God would speak to him, through him, even to others, through that format in which he would pray and then just document it. But before we end this series, before we call it a wrap and we say, awesome, let's put this into practice for the rest of the year, I would be remiss without walking through one last section. I mean, there's tons of sections in the book, in scripture that we could walk through about prayer. Scripture talks a lot about prayer because it's on God's heart and it's so close and so uh, valued by God. But there's one area that I want to focus on. What if you journal, you pray, you hear something, you think it's from God, but it's not of God? What do you do in those times? You ever ask yourself that question? I'm sure you have, especially for those of you who've been putting this into practice. There's usually, actually in the book, they talk about a whole different, you know, a ton of different things that could have gone wrong or that you could have kind of made a mistake on. 
But I'm just going to highlight the five major ones that I feel are the ones that happen the most. One, if you thought you heard from God, but you saw something and it wasn't necessarily true, one, it could have been your focus. You could have had improper focus. In other words, what were you looking to in that season? What were you looking to? Who were your eyes fixed on? Because sometimes what happens is if we're distracted by whatever's going around us while we're praying, our minds can wander and think and start, our, our analytical thoughts start kind of flowing from one to another. And we think we've ended up in a place with a random thought, but really it's very clearly thought through. And so improper focus is what will lead to some misinterpretation of hearing God's voice. Another one is improper interpretation. Sometimes we, we think we've heard God, and we've heard that word, but we interpret what God was saying. We don't understand what he might have been saying. Or we jump to a quick conclusion of what God was saying. And then what happens is we run with a quick false assumption rather than, and, then, and, conclusi- and conclusion rather, excuse me, rather than pausing and letting God speak in time. Maybe it's not a word for now. We force the understanding rather than being okay with, I don't really know and that's okay. Sometimes God uses another person who might have a gift of being able to interpret things like that to be able to speak to us and to interpret what it may mean. Another area is obedience. Sometimes God speaks to us, but we don't like the word. I think of the guy named Jonah. You ever heard of his story? God speaks. We don't like what happens in our obedience, or, or rather our disobedience, leads to a place of not being able to hear God. We don't obey. God, you know, flashes in your mind, sparks within your mind the face of a person you haven't thought in forever. And instead of praying for that person, you just ignore it. Instead of reaching out to that person, you ignore them. That disobedience leads to this, this area of your life where now you're like, actually, you're sinning on the inside because God is trying to tell you to do something and you're walking away from it. And then you wonder why it's hard not, and you kind of feel like there's a barrier where you're not able to hear God. And so living in obedience, learning to obey God, to shorten the gap from when God speaks to when you obey is so crucial. And before, sometimes what happens is we have a limited view of God's answers. We think in yes and no. We don't realize that sometimes God's response is not yet, or not for now, or only for a season. We limit God to these specific answers rather than realizing God is way bigger than our minds can fathom. And so giving room for that and not just putting him in a, in a block of God, say yes or say no and moving with that. And the last one, this one's the biggest one, beware of bias. See, sometimes we want something so bad, whether it's a job, whether it's money, whether it's a girl, whether it's a guy, whether it's a whatever, and we want something so bad that we start, and our minds are very tricky, our brains are very complicated and unique in this, we'll start convincing ourselves of what we have made up to believe like it's true. That's why it's so crucial to follow those four keys. Becoming still, the second key, it's crucial to put away the distractions. And the reason why we look for vision, the vision that God has, is so that we can put away our vision for our own lives. Because we all have a vision for our lives, we do. We dream about it, we fantasize about it. But it's when we put away our dreams and we say, God, you give me your vision. And we really, from the, from the inside, let that go. That's when we will start to stop looking at everything in the world through bias and start looking at it through the eyes of God.
Those five points, improper focus, improper interpretation, obedience, limited view, and beware of bias. Again, if you want to pick up the book, it's going to encourage you a lot more and really point you in the right direction as you're trying to figure out this whole journey of seeking solitude with God. And my hope as we come to the end of this conversation, my hope, that, my hope is that this is just the beginning of a new journey for you to learn what it means to seek solitude with God, to spend time with God, to spend time in, the, in those precious moments where we don't let anything else bother us except for just focusing on the creator, finding ultimate joy and peace and satisfaction in just being with God, being refueled, allowing the spirit to speak to us and to lead us in our lives. My hope, my prayer, my plea, and my encouragement is that we would be a church driven by the desire that God does speak to us. He desires to speak to his children and that we would be men and women seeking out God's heart as we live out his desires for our lives because we believe in faith and we know that God knows what's best for us. And because of that, we're willing to submit to him. Jesus, my prayer is that you would release your Holy Spirit on every single person who desires to hear you, to obey you, to live for you, to serve you. Oh, King, you have promised that you will send your helper to us. That Holy Spirit, you make your dwelling in us. It's not some hard, complicated thing, but we have been so attuned into the world that we've become callous, hard, ignorant, unable to hear you, God. I pray that you would reopen the lines of communication back to you for every single person so desiring to hear you as your children. Lord Jesus, give you all the praise and all the glory. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.